Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the 6am Run Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show. And I appreciate these uh, these Friday night recordings. I don't know when this show will be out, probably not a Friday, but I like Friday. It's kind of relaxing, nothing really to do. I do have girls soccer games early tomorrow morning, so that's going to be fun. And it's raining in Georgia, so that's always a plus when you watch nine-year-olds just magnetized to a soccer ball in the middle of a soccer field. But I digress. As always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run, 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So got a good one for you today. Got a great guest. Got Josh Deck. That is D-E-C-H. If you're looking for him online, he is holistic nutritionist and so much more. Josh, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you guys introduce yourself for our audience? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Mark. So like I said, my name is Josh Deck, and that's where that stops. Shake a hand, we're good to go. Uh, I am an ex-paramedic, holistic nutritionist, gut specialist, and medical lecturer, and I specialize in helping people reverse gut disease, specifically in my practice, Crohn's and colitis, or very severe IBS, and it's just an absolutely wild ride. And the work we do, it's opening up all kinds of doors. We're actually, I'm trying to undo 30 years of research and splitting the difference between these diseases and bringing them back to look the same. So it's a pretty cool ride. And I'm excited to talk today about the gut, how important it is. And as a preface for our listeners, it is more important, I would say, your gut bacteria, more important than your DNA. And I'll leave it there. I Leave us with that cliffhanger. I, I, I love it. Let's get right into it. And and I kind of want to ask you real quick because uh, you mentioned Crohn's and, and uh, things like IBS and and you know, personally, I'm in my 40s, and, and the first time, like, I remember seeing the commercials for IBS was really not that long ago. I mean, I say not long ago, maybe 20 years ago, if that, maybe 25. And, and you know, I don't think many people knew much about it then. And unfortunately, I don't think many people know much about it now. So, you know, just for our listeners out there, what is IBS? What are the symptoms? What are things people need to look for when we talk about IBS? Sure. So irritable bowel, it is irritable bowel syndrome. So it's a syndrome where you have, I see two things. There's IBS-C and IBS-D. So that's constipation or diarrhea. If you're finding yourself having less than one bowel movement a day, you're constipated. If you're finding yourself having loose stools or more frequent stools with urgency, whether that's even three times a day, we're going to call it diarrhea because it should be fully formed in healthy stools. There's also a new one they're coming out calling it IBS-M, which is mixed, where it's either constipation or diarrhea. It changes, but I look at that as just IBS, but you have a bacterial infection and it might actually be closer to a condition called SIBO, and that's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or again, a bacterial infection, which changes the stool consistency over time. 
Either way, all those conditions, regardless of the uh, specificities of the naming, they need help because they're a window to every disease you could possibly imagine. And, and are these diseases that people that they that they uh, that come later in life? Are they born with it? Is it part of you know their uh, hereditary function? Is it or is it something that's based on diet? Like, what are some causes of, of these diseases? Well, or syndrome. I apologize. Syndromes. I don't. I want to make sure. Well, you're not far off. Yeah, you're not far off, Mark. I actually, I, I want to split the difference between those two. So, if we talk about irritable bowel syndrome, they call it a syndrome. It's a low-grade inflammation. Some will say no inflammation, but you got pain. You're inflamed, and then we have irritable or inflammatory bowel disease. So Crohn's and colitis are the two major umbrellas, and that is a disease process. Now that one is considered to be autoimmune. Right in the Western world, they go, it's autoimmune. There's nothing we can do. Take the drugs. Hope that one day we don't cut out your colon, which I say is asinine. What we're actually talking about, I did a lecture just this week. Um, I lecture for Priority Health Academy. We help medical doctors who want to understand functional medicine in root causes, more so than just giving drugs to mass symptoms. And so we have to understand these conditions, whether you have them right now or not. And that's why I know a lot of people go, I don't have IBS, IBD. They tune out. This is very important for everyone. Because these diseases can happen to anyone. To ask how they happen, are you born, do they acquire? Sometimes both. And so what we look at, if we look at the difference between the two, right? One has severe bleeding. Like I've had people with IBD or ulcerative colitis, 30, 40, 50 bowel movements a day, severe pain, blood, nutrient deficiencies, weight loss, fatigue, you name it. And then I've had people on the low end of the spectrum where it's like they got some acid reflux and certain things make them bloated. They wish they just weren't bloated. That's a spectrum. So what I'm doing here is in my my education, my lectures, I'm trying to blur the lines more. They spent 30 years trying to differentiate these processes. IBS is one thing, IBD is another. I'm saying no, they're the same thing on a sliding scale spectrum of severity. So if you have just bloat right now, one day you might have IBS or it gets worse and worse and the tissue rubs raw. If you have IBS right now, one day you're at risk for IBD. And studies are indicating that for sure in controls, 15% of people or in studies, 15% of people do have a previous confirmed IBS diagnosis. They have IBD, so your Crohn's colitis, in 5% of controls who they can, again, they have like 95% uh, confirmation accuracy. They've had that disease before. So call it 20%. But 72% of all Americans complain of having some kind of gut issue once a week. That's that's um, uh, constipation, diarrhea, pain, acid reflux, bloat, cramping of some kind. And so we would call that low-grade spectrum IBS. So now we have 72% complaining of a low-grade issue. We have, however, what, 40% or 30% of all Americans complaining of IBS. And then about 0.4.5% of Americans complaining of IBD. So you see the spectrum of severity. And so I'm saying these are all the same thing. They're just worsened progressions of each other. So if you have acid reflux and bloat right now, who knows how far down the spectrum you end up in life. And, and those are all good numbers. And, and when I hear, at least personally, when I hear those numbers, the first thing I think is it has to deal somehow with the diet of Americans. And am I, am I wrong or am I right when I, when I, when I think that? I, I think you're absolutely right. Now, one of the things that I've been up against when I started this and I started proposing a new view on inflammatory bowel disease, right? Again, for our listeners, that's the severity of spectrum. So everybody with minor gut issues or severe, we're on the same track here. Um, I got harassed 
I got threatened. I had people like Reddit blew up that people dropped my inbox. I had people um, jump into my, my scheduling and book me out for months in advance. Nope at fuckyou.com so nobody could book in. I'm trying to help people with this disease, but there's so much hate. And so there are a lot of things that actually create it. And so we're kind of breaking the mold here. So it may, or not, may or may not be well received by listeners, but there's two things that will cause digestive disease anywhere on that spectrum. Number one is an immediate insult to the tissue. So a mold infection, heavy antibiotic use, some kind of flu disease, maybe you got COVID, maybe there's food poisoning, medication use, he uh, heavy metals, stress, like all kinds of things can cause this. And so that's an insult to the tissue where you now pop off and you have symptoms for life that worsen over time. The second is a progressive issue. So like you said, food, diet, lifestyle, stress, alcohol consumption, these things that wear and wear down until you have these progressive inflammatory responses. And so I, li I liken it to your runners right now, 6 a.m. run, going for a run, and you're not wearing socks and it's a brand new pair of shoes. What happens to your heel? It rubs and rubs and gets red and it blisters and it gets raw, then it bleeds. You keep going hard and long enough, either the shoe breaks down or your bone breaks down, right? So it's a wear and tear issue. And that's how I'm seeing these spectrums, these digestive issues sliding over time to severity. And that's how I see these diseases developing, direct insult or progressive wear and tear. And that was all great information. And I'm going to tell you one of the things, you know, there, if, if you break down the diet of most Americans, I mean, it's obvious, at least it should be obvious to people in the nutrition and fitness world and in your world, it's obvious what we're lacking in diet, what we're lacking and what we're getting too much of that we could, that we could do a thousand shows on that. But one of the main things is that talked about often is our fiber intake. And I, for one, you know, figured this out years ago and, and I do take a fiber supplement daily because I, I, I don't get enough of it in the diet that I, should I look for, you know, other ways to get fiber, of course, but just to make sure I stay regular is, you know, is, is I take fiber. Is that one, you know, if there, if there's a long list of things is one of the things on that list, people reevaluating their fiber intake and making sure they eat foods that are high in fiber or take a fiber supplement? I'm going to spin this one on its head here. Um, I'm a holistic nutritionist. I specialize in gut disease. So I see some of the worst of the worst. And I am now in my practice questioning the need for any fiber or any vegetables or any plants at all. Now, I'm not saying I'm pure carnivore by any means, but I am animal-based. But here's the thing. I said your bacteria are more important than your DNA. We have, give or take, 1,000. I'll do some math with you guys. This will be fun. 1,000 to 2,000 species of bacteria in your gut, Seven to 9,000 strains. In total, we have upwards of, you multiply them out, about 18 million different bacteria genotypes. The human DNA, our human genome, right? What makes you, you. You have 23,000 different genes. Our gut bacteria have approximately 3 million different genes. So it's 130 times more genetic material in your bacteria than the entirety of your body. It's 2 to 3% of your whole body weight, which is about 3 to 5 pounds in the average adult just gut bacteria. They do everything for us. They integrate with mood, sleep, emotions, wellness, mental health, fatigue, energy, how social you feel like being. They produce vitamins and fatty acids. They have anti-inflammatory things. 70% of your immune system is housed in your gut. And so it's more important, I would say, than your DNA. And so how do we feed them and keep them happy? Well, we would say, I used to say, yeah, you know, women need 30 to 50 grams of fiber, men need 50 to 80 grams. It depends. 
all this bacteria, there is so much in our world. This is where it gets complicated. And I say eat intuitively. There's so much in our world now where everything's poison, right? Like if we look at Crohn's and colitis, the severity of digestive disease, that is actually considered a rich white people's disease, which means the affluent culture in society, those who maybe have more money and it's actually more prone to white women than it is white men as opposed to black communities, Hispanic communities. We're actually seeing more um, by, by race of saying, well, it's genetic. It's not. But what we find is these upper middle class families tend to be more white women who tend to eat more vegetable-based diets. So my argument is, is it the vegetables causing the issue or are we dealing with issues like glyphosate, pesticide consumption, right? In the last 30 years, pesticide usage, depends on who you look at, has gone up two to four times. Arguments can be made that the consumption of pesticide use has gone up 19 times. And so if you're eating packaged foods, processed refined foods, we know it's bad for your gut. But I'm starting to question if the glyphosate and pesticides are worse for your gut than eating a Pop-Tart. It's gotten that bizarre. And so personally, I actually subscribe to an animal-based diet because at the very least, all that filtration the animal does, eating grass, eating whatever they eat, they filter out a lot of that junk, you can then consume that. Um, but I know if your bacteria is at a balance, for example, you have an overgrowth of bad bacteria or even an overgrowth of good bacteria and you feed them all these fibers, they then ferment. Well, you eat and you poop, your bacteria eat and they poop. And so are they pooping good things or bad things? And a lot of them are pooping bad things. And if you feed them, if we have an overgrowth of bad and you feed them, they eat dominantly. They eat first, they poop bad things. You become inflamed, you get bloated, you get issues in your body. And with only one cell barrier between your small intestine and your bloodstream, all those bad poops are getting into your body, circulating around, causing issues wreaking havoc. So to answer your question on nutrition, I don't know, man. I think animal base is safe. The rest of it's a wash at this point. <laughs> and I, you know what? I I love that answer because I, I am also animal based. And if anybody's listened to this show long enough, you know, we've had some some vegan people on here. We've had, um, you know, people who, who have been animal based. We've had vegetarians. We've had plenty of people who have um, kind of subscribed to different nutrition ways of life and um, I think you, you put it, you know, well, that, that I think we all need to figure out like what makes our body happy. And we also, and this might sound weird to people. We also need to consistently and constantly like check what's coming out of our body. Like we need to be more vigilant on that. Can, and, and that right, something just making that change in our life, just keeping track of the consistency, how many times we're going to the bathroom, what's coming out of us, that can actually tell us a lot about, you know, how our body is reacting to our food. I look at every one of my poops. Every time I go to the bathroom, I take my flash, I, I grip my phone with like a death grip because I don't want it to drop in the toilet. But I look at every one of my stools because I want to know what's going on. I've had gut issues in the past. Now, visualizing obviously is not a full spectrum diagnostic thing, but you can see, is it light? Is it dark? Is it gray? Does it float? Does it sink? Is it soft? Is it hard? Can I see undigested food? I don't eat broccoli anymore. I used to love vegetables and salad. Like I said, I'm animal-based now, but broccoli would come out the exact same way as it went in. It may as well have been corn. And so it just did not digest. And I started tracing back. I became hyper aware of everything I ate. And it turns out I had, like I said, I had gut issues, bacterial dysfunction, 
imbalances. So I almost had, again, SIBO, that small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And every time I'd eat fiber in these vegetables, I was feeding these bacteria and they were overgrowing, causing bloat and pain. And I lost, I'm only 180 pounds now. I lost 25 pounds. You know, when I was strength training my early 20s, I competed in strongman shows. And I was out at Calgary Stampede, if you guys know what that is. And I did an amateur show there. And one of the rock, one of the lifts we would do is this Atlas Stone, 375 pound rock. I put it on my lap, pick it up, put it on this box. After my gut popped off, lifting a 60 pound rock was hard. And so that's the severity of like nutrient deficiencies it can cause. So yeah, man, stare at your poop. And worst case scenario, poop in a box, send it in the mail to a lab. It's the only time it's legal to you know send poop in the mail. And you can get a, a GI map or a stool test done to see what's going on in your gut bacteria and the quality of it. Um, they're absolutely vital pieces, though some may disagree. Yeah, I I couldn't have said it as eloquently as you. Poop and in a box, something. very eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, the, the, the way you're talking is, you know, a, at least one person on this uh, recording has kind of had a paradigm shift in regard to how I look at the things that come out of my body. But you're, um, I, I think it's something that we all need to more be vigilant about. And something you had mentioned earlier, which I think is, is something that most of us don't think about, is how our gut health is connected to not only our brain health, not only our mental health, but to just our socializations, how we are mm -hmm. in the world. Kind of talk, go step by step, because I don't think people really understand that dynamic or that correlation. How does one have to do with those other three things? There's a big misunderstanding of the gut-brain connection, but at least we recognize it's there right? The, the same tissue in your gut, in utero, it's the same tissue your brain's made from. And so there's so much nervous tissue or neurological tissue in your gut. It's got its own name, the enteric nervous system. And so your gut reactions, your gut responses, it fires faster than your conscious brain, right? If we compared your subconscious mind, which ties in with your gut, gut reaction, I kind of describe my understanding is that the gut reaction is sort of the physical manifestation of your subconscious activity. So you kind of know instinctively. If we had to put them in terms of actual speed and how much information they, they split, your conscious mind does about, it goes about 100 miles an hour, right? On the amount of information comparatively that it, we're saying bits of information as if it were a processing computer, but we'll, we'll say in, in terms of speed, it goes about 100 kilometers an hour. Okay, that's your conscious mind. Your subconscious mind is 100,000 kilometers an hour, okay? So we're talking 1,000 times faster. It's, it's wicked. And your gut can think that quickly. It also produces up to 90% of your neurotransmitters. We're talking your dopamine, serotonin, a lot of these things that your body and brain need to have neuro, neural signals communicate and transfer to put you in a good mood, to help you focus and concentrate. All these things come from the gut. And so that gut-brain connection, it's huge. In your gut, we can also trace back to, like we mentioned, almost every other disease. 93% of the leading causes of death in the United States are either connected directly or largely in part to your gut. And so we have an epidemic on our hands where people are dying, what we're calling natural causes, heart disease, strokes, as natural causes, Alzheimer's. It's not. This is a sickness and our body is chronically inflamed and it's producing these diseases. And we hear that a lot lately, I think, um, and, and just me kind of, you know, 
I'm not going to play devil's advocate. I'm not going to do that. But we hear a lot of people in the nutrition world, in the fitness world, talking about inflammation. And, you know, whether that be inflammation of the joints, the cells, um, whatever it might be. And I think a lot of people get turned off by so much just misinformation and bad information being given on the Internet, on Instagram, on TikTok. I tell people all the time, like, take the information you get on TikTok with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Uh, 90% of the people are trying to sell you something. Um, and you have to be aware of that. So I know a lot of people kind of get turned off when they hear buzzwords, you know, when they hear inflammation or gut health or take this. And what I hear, and I would like your response on this, what I hear is you're trying to fight back against that a little bit because you're trying, you're not only using data, you're not only using science, but you're kind of using, um, and you're not using people's fears, even though those numbers you just threw out were, uh, you know, astronomical, but what I'm hearing is that I can, I can possibly feel better, live a better life, be a better version of myself if I just took the time to do some more research into my gut health and take care of what goes in and look at what comes out of my body. Every aspect of your life would be better if you understood your gut. And you're exactly right. I. I hate buzzwords. I've been in sales, Mark, since I was 13. My first job was door to door selling lawn care, knocking on doors, and I make eight bucks an hour. And if someone said yes to a salesman coming to their house to give them an estimate, I make an extra two bucks. Our goal for the entire time was four to six yeses in a four hour shift. I'd regularly do 16, 15, 20, 30. Uh, so I'm a very good salesman if I need to be. And I hate it. I hate buzzwords. I hate twisting people's arms. I hate language um, that gets people to buy things on impulse. The reason I educate people is simply because we need to have more of a reverence for our gut and understanding of the power of our gut bacteria. And we are cracking a whole new era of science here. There's a lot of understanding that your gut's important, but I think as things disseminate down from the top, you have your lead researchers, guys like Dr. Alessio Fasano and Dr. William Lee, who are doing a lot of this head research, and there are many others. Um, Sabine Hazan and many, and they're doing phenomenal work in the gut health sphere. But as it disseminates down through the masses through social media, it's like a game of telephone. What started as grandma wants a banana sandwich is like grandma bought another banana shaped hammock. You're like, what does that even mean? And so we're losing the quality of information over time. And that becomes very difficult. And so in order to catch attention in headlines, people are using buzzwords like the one thing that's causing all these problems or here's this new food. We thought avocados now causing cancer, like some bullshit. And it doesn't make any sense, but it makes people click. And so for the power of to get money into our pockets as practitioners, many of us has turned to clickbait. It's no different than what big pharma does. They're happy for you to be sick because they make money by using buzzwords in the health sphere. We are not promoting proper science, which leads people to be sick for the sake of our own pockets. And that's complete garbage. And I detest that about my industry. So I do take a stance. Um, the least popular politicians are the ones who are in the middle, like, well, a little of this, a little of that. Everybody wants to pick a side. We have left. We have right for a reason in politics. Um, and that's why people, people love to congregate onto a side. But I am. I'm the middle politician of health. I'm like, well, it's some of this sometimes. It's some of that sometimes. We need to have some middle ground and negotiate and figure things out and work together. And um, yeah, buzzwords, they're, they're destroying the industry and making people sick as far as I'm concerned. 
I, I think you're absolutely right because it just it's for an industry that at its base was created to help people at its base to take that assumption when people come into that space oh i'm assuming this person is out to help me to take that assumption and then use that to scare people and get them to buy some something that they may or may not need we i mean some of this the the, the weird thing about it is some of this stuff might be actually decent like it, it might not be bad mm-hmm. but it gets such a bad rap just because of the space that it's in so you know we've we've kind of touched on the importance of gut health we've kind of touched on kind of that in between that it you know is it is it really the diet is it specifically to you know how it affects one culture versus another how it affects the people who eat this so for someone just listening someone that said this is the first show of 6am i'm going to i'm going <laughs> to listen to and oh wow i got gut health and poop in a box and, and all that good <laughs> stuff. And, and now I've been told that vegetables are bad. Like they're, they're literally just picking and choosing. Yeah, but for someone, for sure. yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> for someone who's just, you know, you know, listening now that says, okay, I believe and and I want to start because I don't want Crohn's disease. I don't want to develop IBS. I don't want any of these things like what are just some common, just easy things that they can start with? I'm, you know, I'm not asking you to tell people this is what you do now, now, now. And I think even if I did ask you, you probably would not answer that question because you, you know better. But what are just some, some things, some simple things that people can start to do, start to eat, you know, that can help them improve their gut health, which, as we've discussed, is going to help with sleep. It's going to help with mental health. It's going to help with their emotional intelligence and their socialization. It's going to te- help with their brain health, their intuition, all that good stuff. Where can people start? First thing is stop listening to your doctor about gut health. <laughs> I, I have to put a legal disclaimer. I can't legally tell you to do that, but I'm going to tell you to do that. The- I like how you said that on this show. You said that on this show. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, happy to do that. Um, the medical system, they just they don't understand gut health. I, I work with or something I tried to with GI specialists. Like I had a, a 16 year old kid came in with Crohn's. He was five foot six, five foot seven, was down to 95 pounds. So we're talking severe gut disease, shrinking, sick all the time, chronic diarrhea in pain. His doctor had him on a whole bunch of drugs and medications and all sorts, and they weren't working. He was getting sicker, down to 93 pounds rather. We worked with him two months, two and a half months later, it was up to 118. So we gained 25 pounds. Went back to his GI. She goes, well, I'm happy he's gaining weight, but I don't love how you're going about it. And that's the problem we're facing. I've had clients come in and their doctors want to give them medication, even though they're asymptomatic. Well, you still have the disease. Like I'm symptom free now. Yeah. Well, you can't get rid of it. And so it seems to be either this, this cognitive dissonance or cluelessness around gut health as a whole. And so there's very little lack of knowledge unless they are functional medicine practitioners. Then they understand because they spend time studying the stuff but doctors don't. And so just a a nail in the coffin on this one, the Western medical system, so again, we're severity of spectrum of gut disease, Crohn's and colitis. They say it's idiopathic or it's genetic. So it means either you got it out of bad luck or God hates you more, or there's no known cause. That's really what it means. And so the United States of America is less than 5% of the global population, right? The entire globe 
but they have 50% of these diseases in the US. So either A, it's a statistical anomaly and everybody, every American just gets it because they're born there and God hates them. Or it's not actually idiopathic, meaning no known cause. And we better figure it out pretty freaking fast. And so we have these diseases that doctors ignore. So that's number one. Don't listen to your doctor about gut health. Number two, seek a functional practitioner. We need to be intuitive and understand food dies, even though we see people saying, well, correlation doesn't equal causation. We know that we, we can't prove that food die or that sucralose or that this and that food is bad for your gut. Therefore, ignore it. Have some reverence for your bloody gut. Most of the foods we eat today, they've only been in existence for 50 years, right? The stuff that's been around that your great, great, great grandmother would have recognized and eaten on the farm. That's what we should be eating. Even if, in my opinion, I may not be super inclined for vegetables myself and some of my clients, some of them I do give them vegetables, um, but it's very case specific. So be intuitive with your body, but use ancestral methods. Hold that food in your hand and go, would a caveman recognize this? Yes or no? If not, don't eat it. That's the first thing we can do. Second or third is that if you're dealing with gut issues that can't be easily corrected with food, seek some help. Because it is. Dr. Lesio Fasano, um, he discovered zonulin in the leaky gut and its role. And he's got a paper called All Diseases Begin in the Leaky Gut. And he surmises that every disease you could possibly imagine is connected to the gut, like we talked about or responsible for. In the leading causes of death in the US, we're talking heart disease, cancers, cerebrovascular, so strokes, respiratory disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, kidney and liver issues, high blood pressure, Parkinson's. Uh, uh, influenza, septicemia, which is like septic in the blood, all these things can be traced back to your gut. And they're the leading causes of death. That's 14 out of 15. The 15th cause is accidents or self-harm, like suicide or injury. And so every natural cause, for our listeners, I'm using air quotes with my fingers, every natural cause of death is actually an inflammatory disease stemming from the gut. And so don't be afraid to seek some help. Look outside the box and just poop in a box, send it to a lab, get a GI map done, and just get the quality of spectrum of your gut bacteria. At the very best, you look good and there's no red flags on there. The very worst, you need some help. In the middle, you go, hey, all my good bacteria look to be really low. Get a probiotic that has that strain in it, and that's at least going to get a dent in the system and make things better. I, I think that was that, that's all great information. I think people can really work with that. Um, in, in your professional opinion, like how important are endoscopies or colonoscopies? And uh, in, in, in how, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> that tells you everything, well, uh, doesn't uh, it? Uh, all right. Well, answer that question. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We'll just, I'll let you, I'll let you run with it. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, Western medicine, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't laugh. I mean, they do have a purpose. If we want to visualize the extent of the damage, right? We want to see if there's, you know, we can visualize tumors. We can get MRIs and CTs and stuff to check that anyway. But I get people coming in. I'm like, well, what have you done to test for your gut? Like to know what the root is? Well, I've done colonoscopies. I've done endoscopies. I've done x-rays. I've done all this stuff. I'm like, great. So they have identified that you are in fact inflamed. You could have told me that because you have pain, you have constipation, you have diarrhea, irritability, there's weight loss, nutrient deficiencies. I know you're inflamed. A diagnosis, and they use these things as like visualization to, to determine a diagnosis. Here's what they do. They assess your symptoms. This is Western medicine. They say, okay, you've got X, A, B, C, and D symptom. Therefore, this is your diagnosis. That word simply describes your current state of affairs. That is all. But we look at these diagnoses go, well, I have this condition. I have arthritis. Well, no, you don't. Arthro means joint. Itis is inflammation. So your joints are inflamed. Why? 
they just, they aren't, they just aren't, right? You can't just, nothing cannot just be out of the blue. And so we get these symptoms, give a diagnosis and go, well, this is what you have. And then attach that diagnosis is a drug. And this drug will get your symptoms better. But that's all it's doing is getting your symptoms better. And what we do in Western medicine is we look at this symptom and basically what we're doing, symptoms of your body screaming for help, saying, help me, help me. And then we put tape over its mouth and go, look, we, it's not screaming. I fixed it. But it's still happening under the surface. And so colonoscopies and endoscopies, they are a visual tool to tell you the extent of the damage. But they do fuck all. Can I swear? Can I, can I swear? You, you can. Yeah. Yes, you can. Okay. They do fuck all to tell you why that inflammation is there. It's a current state of affairs. That's it. And we rely on these tests to go, well, I have colitis. Well, I have irritable bowel. I have acid reflux. Why? The body does not make mistakes this way. Something had to cause it to break down. And under the right conditions, it will completely heal itself. In my practice, because I'm not a doctor, a medical doctor, and it goes against the, the mainstream medical narrative, I legally cannot say cure, treat, or heal in the context of what I do. But what I can tell you is that I've had people come in with severe 16, 17 years of ulcerative colitis, severe gut disease, whose doctors gave them every drug, every medication. They went to the Mayo Clinic. They saw eight doctors, three specialists, the works. And in a matter of weeks, they're symptom-free because we found the root cause, gave the body the right conditions, it began healing itself. And people are going to call bullshit. That doesn't happen. It does. Now, obviously, there's years of damage that need to be undone, but the symptoms were disappeared. And they went back, we're talking a year, two, three years later, complete clinical, medical, symptomatic, and histologic remission. Every scope, every everything came up clear with no signs of relapse. They can go and have a piece of birthday cake and a beer and not feel like they're dying for the next week. Now, I'm not advocating pizza and beer, but right. that's the level of tolerance you can give your gut. And, and that's really what we want people to do. If given the right conditions, your body will heal itself. So what is the thing? causing the symptoms that led to a diagnosis. Don't attach to the diagnosis and make it part of your identity and your health. It's part of your health history, not part of your health future. It doesn't have to be. And we need to make that differentiation that every symptom, every disease, every diagnosis has a root. We just have to find it. And, you know, I, I've had plenty of people on this show who have, of course, been MDs and I've had people in holistic and, and, you know, one of the things that I've I've figured out is that um, a lot of the times there's this unneeded like us versus them, yes. and that's that's you know that's that's not the purpose of any of this. Like the purpose of any of this is not to say, "Ha, ah, you're wrong," and and look what you because I gave this person you know um, avocado oil, they're good to go now. It's like no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like no, that's not the purpose of this. But I would like to know. Like, what is your relationship with Western medicine? Like, what you, you've, I, I, under, I think it's obvious to a lot of people that it is more profitable to mm -hmm. manage a disease or pain rather than cure it. Like, that is, that's not me being a contrarian. That's not me, you know, being the guy, you know, yelling from the corner. I'm, that's not me. It's just, it that's is what facts. it is. Like, it's, it's, it's facts. It's facts. If you can keep somebody on a drug for 30 years rather than cure them, like you're going to make a lot more money, but I would like to know, like, what is your relationship? You've talked about some of the good work you've done. You've talked to, to people about the, the practical usage of some of the Western medical procedures, but what is your relationship with Western medicine? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I don't want this to sound like an us versus them. 
You know, the reality is, yes, pharmaceuticals, the, the medical system makes about $4.5 trillion a year. It's extraordinarily profitable. It's enough to buy a country. Like it's, it's wild. Um, I have, I have a mixed relationship with Western medicine because it's not the doctors I have a problem with themselves. The doctors were taught in a system. They were indoctrinated into this belief, this understanding. I work with a lot of doctors. I, I'm only where I'm at in my career because of the understanding of doctors who are looking for a different way, who didn't go, well, you're just a nutritionist, not a doctor. And they brought me into their circle, introduced me to some of the world's best, like some of the world's most famous doctors that I've had the pleasure of meeting with because of medical doctors. So my career, I attribute to Western medical doctors, but they are functional medicine doctors looking for a different way. And so it's not the doctor's fault. What becomes an issue for me is when the system has taught these doctors a certain way who were well-meaning. They got into medicine because A, their parents made them, B, it's a lot of money, or C, they wanted to help people. But either way, your job is to help people. And at the end of the day, that's what doctors are supposed to do. The challenge is when we end up having these blinders, like this, this GI specialist who said, I don't love the way you're doing it. How about going, well, that's really interesting. Can we learn more? I'm learning from doctors all the time. I am. Frequently, I, I have imposter syndrome. I am always the stupidest guy in the room. In every lecture I do teaching doctors stuff, they're medical doctors, man. I'm a nutritionist. I'm just like, here's some information I learned. I hope you guys like this. So I'm always in, in the right rooms with smarter people than me. But the beautiful thing is we have the right mentality to learn from each other. And that's what's important. I have information they don't, and they have eight years of school and degrees that I have no clue about. So let's work together. And that's what medicine needs to be. Unfortunately, there, there's been a lot of pushback in medicine. Well, you have to give this diagnosis, follow the protocol, right? And there are doctors who do that. I met on my podcast, I met with Dr. Tabitha Barber, who when she was in med school, she started asking questions like, this doesn't make sense. She's like, she was a gynecologist. She goes, this doesn't make sense. Why are we doing it this way? Her, her mentor, she, she, she says, he said to her, don't ask questions. This is a protocol. Follow the protocol. Well, who made the protocol? The pharmaceutical company who paid for the studies, who paid for that exam, who paid for these things to create the drug, which they then patent, which they then tell the doctors to do. And they put those in textbooks, which go into med school and they pay for most of med school. And so doctors, well-meaning doctors who got there to help people end up becoming some of the best drug reps out there. And that's the unfortunate side that medicine's happening. But there are many who see this symptom treatment and management versus healing that are trying to get out of that system. And many that I meet with who have left their conventional practice and left medicine to become a holistic functional doctor, to do root cause approach, to help people heal. And those are my people. That's my tribe. I love it. And you know what, the, kind of the reason I asked you that is because there's something, you know, specific that more people know about when it comes to either GERD or, or acid reflux or a lot of people, you know, may think of it as heartburn and, and it has... Well, I don't mean to laugh again. Another <laughs> asinine thing. Yeah. Going, yeah. So, but um, but the reason I ask you that specifically is because this acid reflux is something that I um, struggle with for a lot of my adult life, mostly when I was overweight and eating terrible food. And as I got back into shape and started watching my diet, it eventually went away. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times, acid reflux is caused by just the um, esophageal sphincter. And I only know that because I had so many tests and, and mm -hmm. so many things that were done. You know, one of the sphincters at the stomach or at the esophagus that just malfunctions or um, is not working correctly. And 
I and I'm asking this as as, as ignorant as possible. Like yeah. from a from a holistic or nutritionist perspective, if a part of the body is not doing what it's supposed to do at that moment, like an MD is needed, or am I just misrepresenting that, or I'm just missing that yeah. completely? Western medicine is fantastic at surgeries and emergencies. They are terrible, abysmal, embarrassingly bad at long-term chronic inflammatory conditions. Do you know why a sphincter dysfunctions with acid I reflux? Do, I, do not, I do not know that. No. Right, I'll, hit, I'll hit with this. There's, there's two sphincters. There's, there's the lower esophageal. That's the one that goes from the, when you swallow it, things enter the stomach. And then there's the one that goes from your stomach to your small intestine. Now, those sphincters are pH and pressure sensitive. So they need fluid volume and they need acid. When you have acid reflux, the first thing your doctor does, they give you antacids, right? Suppress the acid, doesn't come up, doesn't burn. The number one cause of acid reflux is low acid. So you don't have the proper acidity and you don't have the fluid from that acidity. So your sphincters don't close properly. Therefore, they dysfunction. Therefore, you get reflux. The first thing I do with people with acid reflux, I give them more acid. My wife, she gets really stressed. What does she do? She gets acid reflux. Why does that happen? Well, when your body is in rest and digest, it's doing what it should be doing. It's resting and digesting. Therefore, it's producing stomach acid, stomach enzyme or digestive enzymes. We're getting this peristalsis, this movement of food, that milking process through the digestive tract. But if you are high stress, you're dashboard dining, taking the kids to soccer, you're running around cramming something in your mouth, you're in fight or flight. So you're not producing acid, you're not producing enzymes, you're not moving food through, things come up. The reason things dysfunction in our body is something has inhibited that signaling process somewhere. So in the case of acid reflux, the reason that dysfunctions is because we're stressed, we're eating bad foods, we're doing whatever. Our stomach acid is depleted. Therefore, that pH and pressure signal to the sphincter didn't make it. Therefore, it opens. Therefore, we get reflux and that's your dysfunction. And so acid reflux and GERD, they are, they are synonymous. GERD is like the noun right? Acid reflux is the verb. That's the happening when it's active. And so these dysfunctions happen because something blocked the signal. Even in MS, great example. Um, th there was a lady in the States, I'm not saying all cases are this. There's a lot of genuine autoimmune cases, but even then something caused a problem. But there was a lady in the States who, she was drinking something like four liters of Diet Coke a day who developed MS. Well, it turns out the aspartame was a neurotoxin. We know aspartame is neurotoxic, and it actually inhibited those signals from her nerves, from her body and brain to communicate. She stopped the Diet Coke, and the MS went away. So it was symptomatic. The doctors just gave her drugs. Happens all the time. I get clients coming in. 20-year-old girl I'm seeing right now, so, um, she had ulcerative colitis, 10, 15 bowel movements a day, pain, bloat, you name it. And her doctor said, well, you have ulcerative colitis. Therefore, it's this disease. Therefore, it's autoimmune. Here's your drugs. They want to give her drugs for the rest of her life. One stool test revealed a parasite called Undolimax Nana. Three weeks in, symptoms are gone. She's feeling great. Now, she got some work to do, but her symptoms went away when her doctor was happy to put her on drugs for life. So we have to recognize these dysfunctions happen because something became imbalanced, which inhibited a signal, which created dysfunction. It's an assembly line. Imagine one guy at the Ford Motor Company just gets up off his chair and fucks off and walks away. What's going to happen is that entire assembly line starts bunking up because everything, everything's out of whack. Your body works in assembly lines. We just have to have things in the right balance and in the right sequence. When that sequence is disturbed, all hell breaks loose and then diseases happen. Yeah. And that was, 
I, I appreciate you going through that because I'm I sorry think, for the rant. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because I think one of the things that you know, I I will only um, take a, an acid inhibitor at if if I need like almost immediate um, you know relief and and but I think it's something that people need to. It's not said enough that if it's something that you've gotten reliant on and something that you take daily or all the like there's more going on there and you're doing a lot of harm to your body, which people think when, if they pop one of those things once a day or once a week or, or, or whatever it is that they're okay, but there's some underlying things there that they, and like you said, get checked out, like go see somebody. And, and I should preface uh, for liability as yeah. well. If you guys have had mm -hmm. acid reflux a while, don't just start dropping acid into your stomach. Right. Because I don't mean drop acid like the 70s, but <laughs> popping stomach acid, they can cause problems. Like there is a way to do it properly. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> and this show just went off the rails. Uh, <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, Josh, I really appreciate it. This has been great. How do people learn more about you, get more information on you? How do they get information on the podcast? How can they learn more about you online? The best place to do is you can check out the podcast. It's called Reversible. That's Reverse Able, the ultimate gut health podcast. Like I said, I do as much as I can. I have my business where I work with people one-on-one -on -one for severe IBS, primarily Crohn's and colitis. Um, but this information should be free for everyone. People need to understand their gut. And there's a lot of bad information out there. And so my podcast is exactly that. That's uh, Reversible, the Ultimate Gut Health Podcast. And we do, we meet with some of the world's best, um, the most famous doctors on planet Earth come on this show and they talk about the gut and digestive issues and what it means and where they come from and how to improve. And we connect it to every aspect of the body, talking about how our world affects our gut and how our gut affects our world. Um, and so that's Reversible, the Ultimate Gut Health Podcast. If you guys want some help with stuff, of course, on that website as well, there's a tab called free stuff. And I actually spent a couple of days this weekend, like two straight days. And I wrote up a whole bunch of programs that are free to use um, for IBSC, IBSD, fatty liver, acid reflux, SIBO. Obviously they're nuanced conditions, but I went through a hundred of my last clients this weekend and the most successful. And I found all the common things they need to get better. And I made programs complete. They're like 17, 18 pages a piece. They're full of meal plans and supplements and lifestyle and all kinds of stuff to help you guys on the road to recovery for zero dollars. And as always, I tell people you can pause the show now and go to the show notes and see the links to this. And you know, the reason I do that people, I understand the show's almost over, but the reason I do is because if you pause now and go to it, you're doing it. A lot of people will get three minutes, four minutes down the road and totally forget that the links are there. But Josh, this has been great. One of my favorite shows. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, as as we get questions on this show and, and as people may, you know, may look to get some more information, I definitely would love to have you back on to answer any of those questions. And I hope that you can continually do what you're doing because I think you're doing a great thing. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Keep it up and you have a great rest of your night. It's been a pleasure to be here, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run 
to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.